What do you think of when you see that word? And our Trekkies just outed themselves. I heard more than one person say con. <laughs> Star Trek notwithstanding, when I say the wrath of God, what does it evoke inside? Because this is, this is a touchy subject, and yet I'm not sure in modern day preaching in, in, in our churches that there's actually a more neglected attribute of God than his wrath. Now, the, the reason that happened is because in the past it was abused. And in my, the, the pendulum always overcorrects. You know, there was a time when you went to church and it was just like a beat down every Sunday. God's watching. God's going to get you. God's mad at you. You better repent. And if you don't, God's going to get you because his wrath is real, you know. And you can only hear that so long before you're like, you know, I also read about God's love. <laughs> Why don't we talk about that? But, you know, abuse does not negate legitimate use. And the Bible absolutely teaches us about God's wrath as a very real attribute along with his love, along with his power, along with his grace, his wrath is a very real thing. And if we don't understand his wrath, we can't appreciate his grace. And I mean that wholeheartedly. If we do not understand the dire situation that humanity put itself in, if we don't understand the power of of a wrathful and vengeful God who is holy in all that he does and what happens when that holiness confronts our sin, if we don't understand that, we will never truly appreciate what he has done in Christ. And so we're going to start a series, obviously, on the wrath of God. Because we need to understand it properly because just as with every other attribute, when we talk about his grace or his power, his mercy, his love, and yes, his wrath, we need to understand that all of them flow from his holiness. And so we can talk about the perfect love of God. You know, we can also talk about and celebrate the perfect wrath of God. And that's not us being some kind of, you know, sadistic, judgmental people. It is the fact that God is going to bring every sin that's ever been committed into perfect judgment. And it will be so perfect that in heaven, all that's going to happen is people are going to be praising Him, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy. And people are going to take, God's going to put a crown on their head and they're going to take it back off and throw it at his feet and say, it's yours because you are holy and perfect. Now, part of that praising God is going to be, in the end, we will literally be praising him not only for his grace, not only for his love, but also for his wrath. Now, many people don't think about that. They don't think about in heaven that we're going to be praising him for his perfect justice, that it was perfect in every way. And so... There are some things we've got to understand about wrath before we can really get into this. 
okay, is first, God's wrath is not God losing his temper with an angry outburst. And many times you hear people talk about it like that in the Old Testament, you know, that how many of you have heard people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, man, that guy's, he's mean. You know, I'd rather study the New Testament because in the Old Testament, God is, is capricious and short-tempered and, and wrathful. But, but in the New Testament, he's love. And they talk about it like they're somehow in conflict. And that's just not true. And that's not true in, in any sense. And so we have to let go of every worldly understanding of wrath. Okay, this is not man's anger we are talking about here. Now, let's just be honest really fast. Who in here has a temper, even if you don't want to admit it? Now, the best way we can do that is, how are you when the Chiefs lose? Do you yell at the TV? (laughs) Then you might have some, you know, issues kind of inside a little bit. No, we've got to let go because God is not a man. Okay, God is not human, and that is one thing we have to stress over and over because as we talk about things like his judgment and his wrath and his vengeance, we always want to attach our understanding to it. And it's just natural. I mean, we experience it, you know, and so you you may have experienced somebody who had a horrible temper in life and they lost control, and it's really hard for you to think of God having wrath because all you've experienced is a, a... a poor expression of that in a harmful and destructive expression where that is not what God's wrath does. Does God's wrath destroy? Yes, but it is always perfectly just. And so James 1, 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of God does produce the righteousness of God. So this is one thing we've got to lock this in now. As we start this series, we've got a series, we've got to lock this in now. That we are not dealing with man's anger. We are dealing with righteous, holy, perfect anger that will judge sin, but never loses control. God is not controlled by his wrath. You see, human anger is this expression that can get the better of us and we lose control within it and then we sin. That's why Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. God has no such weakness. So his wrath and his anger are perfect expressions of his holiness. Now, how does the Bible describe, with that in mind, how does it describe God's wrath? In Nahum 1, 2 through 6, it says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger. There's that word again. Remember, James told us, be slow to anger. He is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you don't get some chills when you read that and hear that, you, you need to think about that a little deeper. Because the, the writer of Nahum just gave us the biggest expressions of power we can have in this world. Thunderstorms, mountain, fire, all of these things that every one of us in this room would cower before. You know, I have a friend that moved to Missouri from Washington, and he'd never experienced a Midwest thunderstorm before. In his first storm, he called, and he was like, are we going to die? <laughs> I'm reading stuff about tornadoes online. Is this the end? And I said, no, this isn't even a big one. <laughs> you see, there's these expressions of power in nature that we will cower before, and the writer just said, they are nothing compared to his wrath and his vengeance. Nothing can stand. The Apostle Paul warns those who confuse God's patience with acceptance in Romans 2.5. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There is this ongoing theme throughout Scripture that there is a day of wrath and judgment coming. And if we don't respect that, if we don't fear that, we're going to take the things of God lightly. And that's where God's people get in trouble. You see, this series is not about those moments when God judges those people who, quote, deserve it. You know, we've got those examples in Scripture, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the, the priests of Baal challenging in Elijah and God destroying them. You know, we, we have these moments where we're like, well, yeah, God, get them. They're the bad guys. No, this series is going to focus on when God's wrath was unleashed against his own people. Those moments when we might look at it and think, God, that seemed kind of harsh. I, did it really need to go that far? And you know what? The answer is yes. Every time... God is always 100% justified and correct when he expresses his wrath. Now, something has to change inside of us then. When, when we read a story like that and we pause and we're like, I don't know how to explain that one. That means our view of God needs to change. It needs to grow. It needs to get bigger. It needs to expand because we've, we've either locked him in a box of love would never do that or, you know, God doesn't ever hurt people. or, or do We've got to grow that thing because God is bigger than that. And so this week, we're going to look at a story about two priests of God early on as God is establishing the nation of Israel and he is establishing worship and sacrificial worship in the tabernacle. Uh, he, he's teaching them how, here's how the priests are going to work. Here's how the people react with them. And so this is the very beginning of the nation in the book of Leviticus about two guys named Nadab and Abihu. And so in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. 
Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said among those who are near me. I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses has said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Now this story really begins in chapter 9, where correct worship is offered. God told them how he told Moses. They gave him the blueprint and said, here's how you do it. Here's how you offer fire. Here's how you make an offering. Priest, here's how you put the anointing oil on and you prepare yourself for worship and you consecrate yourself to, to enter into God's presence. And they do all of it. They do everything that they were told. And then when they offer their fire and they have the burnt offering there before God, fire comes from the Lord from heaven and consumes the offering. Now, wouldn't that be powerful? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? You're, you're just meeting this God for the first time, and so he's establishing this is what worship is going to look like. And, and they go through the, the pomp and circumstance. They have the ceremony and the ritual that God has told them to do. And then in a moment, this is like, boom, boom, fire comes from heaven and consumes it. And when it says consumes, it means there's nothing left. So this is a fire that's burning hot. And it comes from heaven. And it says all the people are like, whoo, and they fall down and start worshiping. Now that they are overcome with awe and reverence at the power of God. I mean, it's in, in Everything happened like it was supposed to in that moment. That's the beginning of this story. So it's a win, right? Yay! We worshiped God. It's good. And then immediately after, Nadab and Abihu are like, that was so cool, let's do it again. The only problem is what? God didn't tell them to do it again. And they go get their sensors and they put fire and they're like, cool, let's do it again. You do it, you do it. And God's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, you have to die. Die? I, whoa. Well, let's talk about why God would do that. Because as I said, he is 100% justified in what he just did. Okay? So, let's unpack this. One, the reason is that God is holy. Okay, his holiness is something that it has to permeate every bit of our thinking about God. Anytime we think about Jesus, anytime we think about the cross, anytime we think about forgiveness, holiness must enter the picture. We have to start when we think of God that he is holy. That has to be our first thought about who God is. And because he is holy, he must ultimately express wrath in response to anything that is not holy. He cannot accept sin on its, on its face value. He just can't. And here's the point. If something is 100% pure 
and any impurity enters into it, is it still pure? No. It's now contaminated. And you know what? God will not allow himself ever. He is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt others to evil. Every expression of God will always be 100% holy in every way. And he will guard that holiness with a holy ferocity that is fire from heaven kind of stuff. He will not compromise his holiness. And so in this moment, what happened? Holy worship happened first. They followed exactly what he said. You see, God's commands are there to express his holiness and teach us what holiness is. And so when we violate those commands, what are we saying? We're saying, I don't believe in that holiness. I take that holiness lightly, or I don't consider it at all. I reject that holiness in view of my own desires, my own feelings, my own thinking, my own wisdom. Now, you could look at it and say, well, you know what? We all do that all the time. God hasn't struck me down with fire yet. You know what? You're thinking the right way. Because if you've thought that, then that means you've already had a thought of, wait a minute, I've sinned. Why hasn't he killed me? Killed Nadab and Abihu. Why hasn't he struck me down? Well, there are reasons for that. One, we're not just now establishing something for the entirety of all of God's people for eternity. See, what was happening here is they were learning about worship. And there was a priesthood that was going to represent God before the people. And this is their first act of worship. Okay, after the, 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 the Red Sea is split and they've gone and they got the law and they're starting to establish everything, they've made the tabernacle, this is their first time. So think of it as, you know, a church building a brand new building and God has performed miracle after miracle after miracle to get them to that place and they're having their dedication service and they decide to teach heresy in that moment. God would not look on that lightly. Now, I'm not saying he would send fire out of heaven today, but we all kind of get the sense of like, wow, you really killed the moment. Well, here, Nadab and Abihu disrupted the whole thing. God sent fire from heaven. The people are worshiping. It's working. And then they treat it as an unholy thing there for their personal amusement. And they are the priests which means their job is to teach the people about the holiness of God. And if the priests themselves don't respect the holiness of God, how will the people ever do it? And so this had potential to get very out of hand very quickly in this moment. Because if God, one, he would have honored sin. Had he sent fire from heaven and and honored that, he would have honored sin and the entirety of all of creation would have unraveled because God would no longer be holy. But he he couldn't even overlook it in, in grace and patience because now the people would have this mixed understanding of worship. And they weren't thinking, they weren't fearing God. <clears throat> they weren't fearing his ways. They weren't honoring his ways. They weren't treating him as holy. They were treating him as somebody who's there to do their bidding. Now think about that. The God of all creation does not serve us. We serve him. And in this moment, Nadab and Abihu got that twisted. And they thought it was some kind of parlor trick that, hey, let's do this again. 
That was really cool. I want to see fire again. God, you do what I want you to do in this moment. In front of the entire nation of Israel. Are you starting to see why God was justified? That God's like, oh no, we don't play that game. That is not, no. And in fact, such a hard no that I have to kill you in front of the nation so that people realize I am serious about what I'm saying. And Moses speaks up and he tells us that very thing. In verse 3 it says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. He's remembering the words of God. And he says, Among those who are near me, i.e. the priests in the tabernacle, in the presence of God, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Was he just sanctified in front of the people by his actions? Oh, yeah, they're they're probably more afraid of God now than they were before. And this is a good thing. They fell in fear when God consumed the offering. And they're like, wow, and they they hit the ground in worship. What do you think is going through their minds now that Nadab and Abihu have been reduced to ashes? They're all thinking twice about, I'm not sure I want to cross this God. I, I, I'm going to think twice about just doing something just because. And it says after that, and Aaron held his peace. Aaron said nothing. Now, why is this significant? Because Aaron was their dad. Nadab and Abihu were the sons of Aaron. And Aaron's like, can say nothing like God is justified God is holy you see Nadab and Abihu made the mistake of thinking that as a priest they had authority in themselves and so anything they did was right now does that sound familiar today that somehow our desires trump what God wants, that somehow our desires, oh, God just wants me to be happy. We hear that all the time today. Oh, God just wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And with the holiness of God comes the joy of the Lord, comes the fruit of the Spirit. But we are in the same position if we disregard the holiness of God for our own desires We put ourselves in that same position and we put ourselves in the position where Paul said, those of you who mistake his his patience for acceptance, you're storing up wrath for yourself. We have to take this seriously. You see, instead of teaching and walking in God's holiness and teaching others holiness and taking their job as a priest, which God had just given them, they had just taken real worship. They had been a part of it, and instead of being grateful for the grace that God had given them in creating the priesthood and making them a part of this, of allowing them to be a part of everything that's going on, instead of being grateful for that grace, they did what was right in their own eyes. And they paid the price for it. They treated the very glory and holiness of God as something they could control for their own purposes. And a holy God will not allow that to happen. God had to judge this moment. He had to pour out wrath. 
to say you cannot, you will not take this lightly. I will judge your sin. Because a holy God trumps everything. Everything. When we think of God's holiness, we have to think of it being more valuable than our own lives. We have to think of it as more powerful than any other force in the universe, that he is the ultimate and final and greatest authority that there will ever be, and nothing is higher. And if we don't understand holiness in those terms, then we'll start to think that somehow God owes us, that somehow we get to choose and pick what God does with us. That we get to tell God how it's going to be. But when we understand God's holiness up front, then we realize every act of grace is amazing. We're thankful. We, we start to realize like, wow, God, you could have killed all of us a long time ago and been completely justified. Like there is no, you could have. I, you know, God could have taken me out a long time ago and been like, I am totally justified in this. <clears throat> and you know why? Because every sin, every single violation of God's holiness deserves that wrath. You see, we like to rank sin, don't we? We like to rank it. There's, there's sin that's, you know, bad, and then there's sin that's really bad, and that's what other people do. And we're quick to, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. But we don't ever, like, look at our own lives as, like, that fire, wrath of God kind of sin. We're that everybody sins kind of sin. But when we understand God's holiness, we understand every sin is that wrath of God kind of fire from heaven sin. Every single time. That is what it deserves. And so the fact that God has not done that, the fact that we are in here today singing about the grace of God and celebrating the, the grace that was given us through Jesus Christ, it should make us more grateful. Wow, God really is committed to life. God really, he doesn't want to do this. God is not a vengeful God in heaven that's just waiting to see who he can strike dead. God wants to show grace, but it will always be an expression of his holiness. Whether in wrath or whether in forgiveness, his holiness will always be represented perfectly. And so what is our response? It says, in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. You see, even as those who receive grace and it believed in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility not to turn into Nadab and Abihu who wanted to turn worship into whatever they wanted. It's up to us to worship in spirit and in truth. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that an interesting phrase considering what we've just read? Do you want him to consume the offering or do you want him to consume you? Either way, holiness is all-consuming. There's no limit to holiness. There is no God, you know, is holy this far and no further. His holiness is all-consuming. Either in grace and acceptance or in judgment and in wrath, God is all-consuming. And the choice for humanity is, do we, are we consumed by God's holiness in grace and acceptance and we live for him? Or one day, 
it will be in wrath and in judgment and be all-consuming. It's one or the other. There is no in-between. The second reason this happened with Nadab and Abihu is God said he will be glorified. Now, what does it mean that God will be glorified? When we say God will be glorified, it's saying God is going to show himself for who he is, and it will be celebrated. It will be celebrated properly. And if that is the fear of God and wrath and judgment, so be it. God will be glorified. If every one of those people that saw Nadab and Abihu consumed with fire, and it says they died before the Lord, and they watched that in absolute fear and terror filled their heart in that moment, guess what? God was glorified. I know that's not the normal that we hear, but God was glorified because if we don't have a healthy fear of God, we won't obey him. There has to be just a little bit of this fear inside of us of, I don't want to cross God. I don't want to be on his bad side. I really like his love and grace and his acceptance and I love being forgiven, and I really don't know what it's like. I don't want to know what it's like for him to be mad. I'll believe the word of God. If we don't have that fear, then we will become belligerent and arrogant with God, and we run the risk of turning into Nadab or Abihu. You see, God wants to reveal his glory, and he will. Whether on the good side or the harsh side, it, it, it doesn't matter. There's no bad in God, but whether it, it is in grace and love or, or wrath and judgment. And so, again, Leviticus 9, 23 and 24, it says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. God was glorified. He was glorified in reverence and in awe, in worship, in fear. They, everything that happened right there was exactly what God said would happen. God sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, and the people trembled and fell in awe. He was glorified. But then in that same moment, Nadab and Abihu tried to steal God's glory. Think of that. They really did. They tried to steal his glory for their own amusement and entertainment and selfish reasons, whatever it was. They wanted a repeat performance and thought they could just make it happen, that God would, would, would you know, put a quarter in the machine and it'll happen. It doesn't matter. That's what they thought. And so it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. God's wrath was 100% justified, 100% in keeping with his holiness, and 100% necessary. And what's interesting is the same fire that caused the congregation to fall in awe and reverence that consumed the offering was the same fire that took the lives of Nadab and Abihu. If you were in the audience that day, what are you thinking about God? This is an eventful 10 minutes. <laughs> this is a life-altering 10 minutes that's probably just happened. You got a lot to think about, don't you? If you were in the crowd that day 
and you see this fire from heaven, you're like, whoa, and you hit the ground in worship, and you're like, okay, this God is amazing. He is powerful. I saw him split the, the Red Sea. I saw all of this that he's done. Okay, he's amazing. And then you see, what are they doing over there? They're, are we doing it again? What do, oh, my goodness, God just killed them. Wow. And you're going to stop, and you're going to think. Maybe I've underestimated this God. This is now uncomfortable and awkward. And Moses is just like, yep, God's going to be glorified. <laughs> I mean, Moses is so like straight right here. It, 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 to me, it's kind of humorous, but that's just my weird sense of humor. That Moses is like, yep, he said, I will be sanctified and I will be glorified. It fits. And so when God is glorified, it means that the truth of who he is, his nature, his character, his holiness, is displayed for what it is. And God will even be glorified in his wrath because it is perfect. Now, there's an uncomfortable truth in this, okay? Is that God is not obligated to save a single human life. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. God is not obligated to save a single human life. Now, He has chosen to. He has chosen grace over judgment for, for billions of people who will accept Christ through, through the age and live in faith. But He didn't have to. And he would have been 100% justified, completely holy, completely good. Nobody could have ever looked at God and said, you were unfair. Nobody could ever say those words to God. He's not obligated to save us. Now, we are obligated to, to serve and help each other. He told us that. He said, do not commit murder. And, it, you know, if you know the good thing you should do and you don't do it, that's sin. I mean, we are under a different set of rules. God is not man. And so when he takes a life in judgment like that, it's not that, oh, well, they crossed the line and now God's got to do something. He's not obligated to save us at all. And so when God's wrath pours out on one of his own, it's a time for us to pause and think and go, okay, what did we just do wrong? Because God could have killed us a long time ago. And he chose not to. So what line did we really just cross in which God is now, it's necessary that this happen? And when I say necessary, I mean necessary. God does not indiscriminately kill people just because. He, he's not a psychopath. And so both these times, his holiness was on display. And that's what we lose sight of. His holiness was on display when the, the offering was accepted and the people fell down in reverence and in awe and worshipped him. His holiness was on display and his holiness was on display when he killed Nadab and Abihu. Same holiness, same God, same fire. Different results. Either way, he was glorified. Now that leaves us a question because... God said he's going to be glorified. And so he's going to be glorified in your life, in my life, some way. Some of y'all see where I'm going with this. 
How do you want him glorified in your life? Do you want it to be because you serve him in grace and acceptance and love and, and you, you further his kingdom and you bend your knees to him now in worship and you take his word seriously and you follow him and you become the person he wants you to be? Or is it going to be in judgment and wrath? Either way, God is going to be glorified on earth. Either way. And you know what? God's heart is that it says in Scripture, God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of him. That's God's desire is that all people would be saved, but they're not going to be because God has given us free will. And so he has absolutely no problem with judgment on the other side of like, you don't want to be saved. Cool. You get to experience wrath. And he will not question that, step away from it, hedge it, or, or hesitate in it one bit. Not one bit. Because he owes us nothing. He is the creator. And so in our own lives, we must learn to consider both wrath and grace. In every decision. Not that we live in fear that oh, God might strike me dead. Or, Listen, when, when Jesus says, you know, when he says your sins, when God says your sins, I will remember no more. And we have the blood of Jesus that that has cleansed us from sin. We need to believe that we need to accept it. OK, we need to live in confidence that we are forgiven. We are accepted by grace and nothing can separate us from the love of God. We need to believe that and live by that. And at the same time, know that even as a Christian, I can do things to bring about the wrath of God into my life. Not in the sense of you'll lose your salvation, but you might lose your life. There are Christians in this world that get enough out of line that God's like, That's, you're coming home. I am not going to tolerate what you are doing, and he will straight kill them, bring them home to heaven, and say, you're done. We're not tolerating that. No, they didn't lose their salvation, but they lost their life. God is not playing around when it comes to holiness. And we have to start thinking in terms of God's grace and wrath as perfect expressions of his holiness. You see, listen to what Moses says then to Aaron after this. It says, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people I'll be glorified. Moses gets it. And then he warns the rest of the Levites. It says, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. He says, y'all better not break ranks right now. You break ranks because this happened. We'll all die. <laughs> he says, what, what, what does he say? He says, listen to these. He says, uh, and wrath come upon the whole congregation. He says that the, the priests have a job and you've consecrated yourself and you are still at work, is what he's saying. Don't get careless. And that is my message for Christians today is do not get careless with your life. That is the warning that Moses gives to the priest. Do not become careless. 
He says, let the rest of the congregation, those who are not consecrated for service here, let them be the ones to go home and mourn and tear their clothes and be like, wow, that was rough and I'm sad because Nadab and Abihu are dead. And he says, let them bewail the burning that happened. You keep serving God. That's tough. That's a hard moment of like Moses is like, uh, 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 you, you keep it together. Every one of you priests keep it together. Now, how hard would that be? This is their brothers. This is their sons. This is family that God just destroyed right in front of you. And, you know, everybody's just like, whoa. And he's like, maintain order. Don't get careless or something worse might happen. We, and, and there was a lesson here. He says, do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. Verse 7, and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of the meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. So what do we make of this whole story? Well, one, as I said, God is not obligated to save one human life. We serve him. He is the creator. He is holy. And... We have to keep that straight. He's God, we're not. Okay, two, God is good. I don't want you leaving this with like, okay, so I have to be afraid of God all the time. Like I said, if, if God wanted us dead, we'd be dead. It's not like he missed. Okay, if he wanted us gone, we'd be gone. So take hope and, and, and God wants me here. Cool, I've messed up a lot and I'm still here. So God wants me here. So that's good news, okay? Three, it is by God's very grace that we are able now to serve him. God wants us to serve him. God invites us to serve him. But we've got to serve him according to his will. Nadab and Abihu gracefully got to be priests, and God anointed them, and they were involved in proper worship the ten minutes before they died. And it was an amazing thing. And if they'd have just been thankful that, God, I got to be a part of this. Wow. And been satisfied with that, none of that would have happened. They would have been fine. But they lost sight of the grace of God and because of it experienced the wrath of God. And so we have to have a healthy understanding and even a fear of God's wrath, lest we take his grace too lightly. Now think about that. If we don't have a healthy understanding of God's wrath, we don't appreciate his grace. And it is in appreciating his grace that we are motivated to serve him, to love him, to to love our neighbor, to do everything that God wants us to do, to become who God wants us to be. It's by being motivated by grace. God doesn't want to motivate us by fear. But it's only by understanding what we deserve that we have gratitude for what we have. And we have grace through Jesus Christ. We have acceptance through the gospel, through the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was raised again. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven, and you can serve him. Just as the priesthood did in the Old Testament, we can serve him today. But we have to do it his way. Let's pray. Father God, I just come to you, and Lord, I thank you. 
God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to serve you, God, in life. God, we know you're good. We know you are love. And so, God, help us to respect and fear your wrath as a perfect expression of your holiness so that we will have gratitude for your grace. God, I pray that we would never presume upon your grace, but, God, that we would be grateful for it every day, that we would serve you in thankfulness, and, God, that we would have the right kind of fear of your wrath, not paranoia or terror, but, God, respect. And, God, I pray for each person Lord, whatever work needs to happen in our hearts individually to come to that place where your holiness means more to us than our own happiness. That we would know the joy of the Lord and not cheap substitutes. God, that our lives would be filled by your spirit, your mission, and your ways. God, we pray that you are glorified in our lives through our service. That you will be sanctified in our lives. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.